0: And uh, open up to Psalm 68. Psalm 68, and I'm going to begin at verse 24 and go through the end of this psalm. Psalm 68 and verse 24. Your procession has come into view, O God. The procession of my God and King into the sanctuary. In front are the singers, after them the musicians. With them are the maidens playing tambourines. Praise God in the great congregation. Praise the Lord in the assembly of Israel. There is the little tribe of Benjamin leading them. There the great throng of Judah's princes. And there the princes of Zebulun and of Naphtali. Summon your power, O God. Show us your strength, O God, as you have done before. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring you gifts. Rebuke the beast among the reeds, the herd of bulls among the calves of the nations. Humbled, may it bring bars of silver, scatter the nations who delight in war. Envoys will come from Egypt. Cush will submit herself to God. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth, sing praise to the Lord, to him who rides the ancient skies above, who thunders with mighty voice. Proclaim the power of God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. You are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, my purpose for you and for me today uh, is to see the power of God. And the power of God is sufficient to change you, to change those around you, for the glory of God. I think most of us have had um, a spiritual disease. It's, uh, it's a disease where we don't uh, deny God, we don't um, completely doubt Him, but we get into a rut in life and we are not expecting the power of God to show up in our lives and to change us and to change those around us for His glory. We kind of just go through life like people who don't even know the Lord. We just happen to do it believing in Jesus. Anybody, anybody been there? I, I see at least Duncan. Uh, at least one. I can get a few names. I, I saw that look. We've all been there. I am preaching to myself this morning. We have a form of godliness. But we deny His power. And that we do not expect Him to make us more loving, more compassionate, more holy, uh, more, more, more expectatious of, of, of God doing great and significant things in us and through us. So that's my purpose today, for us to see the power of God through this passage that we're going to get to in just a few moments. One of my heroes um, writes this about how God works. Jonathan Edwards writes this, If God dwells in the heart and is vitally united to it, he will show that he is a God by the efficacy of his operation. Christ is not in the heart of a saint as in a sepulcher or as a dead Savior that does nothing but as in his temple and as one that is alive from the dead for in the heart where Christ savingly is there he lives and exerts himself after the power of that endless life that he received at his resurrection thus a saint that is the subject of the benefit of Christ's sufferings is made to know and experience the power of his resurrection we Brothers and sisters, are made to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our lives. Transforming power. Our challenge today is to be the kind of believers that expect God to powerfully show up in our lives and change us. And to change those around us. We're going to see God at work today as we continue our journey through Uh, the book of Acts, we're going to see his power displayed in five distinct ways. Five distinct ways uh, through uh, this passage in Acts. But before we pray, before we get to Acts, the passage that I have in my mind uh, towering over this message is the one that I just read from Psalm 68, the very end. Proclaim the power of God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. You are awesome, O God. In your sanctuary, the God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. Let's pray once again, and then we will get into this passage and see these five uh, distinct ways of God's power being displayed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we confess to you, Lord, that we are sometimes complacent, that we are sometimes lukewarm. That we are often not expecting you uh, to show up and to change us, to change those around us, to do great and significant things that we would be shouting about, Lord, at least to ourselves and and hopefully to many others. And so we ask today, as we see what you uh, uh, did uh, in the in the formulation, in the beginning, in the birthing of your church, and the spreading of the gospel in the Book of Acts. I ask that you would speak by the power of your Holy Spirit to each one of us today. And I pray that we would increasingly be expecting you to change us and to show up in our lives in great and significant ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you'd go ahead and open, uh, turn in your Bibles now to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I have been uh, hearing really good things about this series in Acts. I have been... Missing uh, the time in here of the word is the recent weeks. I have been in with our kids, but it is so good to be uh, with you today and to be in Acts chapter 16. I'm going to pick it up at verse 16. So Acts 16, 16, and we're going to go through the end of the chapter here, and we're going to see five ways that God's power is displayed. And the first one we're going to see is in verses 16 through 18. So let me read that. Acts 16. Verse 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. So we see here in these opening verses, uh, an exorcism. We see the casting out of a demon, of a spirit, from this slave girl who is uh, possessed. And it is able to tell uh, the future and has made her slave owners very wealthy. A Very clear display of God's power here. Let's go back and just work through a few of these verses. Notice in verse 16 we see uh, the first person plural pronoun. Once when we were going to the place of prayer. This uh, section of scripture is known as the we section in Acts. So Luke is including himself here in this uh, pronoun We. So we have Luke and we have Paul, we have Silas, we have Timothy, and we have others who are going to the place of prayer, it says in verse 16. And if we went back to last week's passage, earlier in chapter 16, we see that they were going outside of the town, to, to, uh, alongside the river, to this place of prayer. And this tells us something about where they are. This isn't an epicenter of of the Christian faith. This isn't an epicenter of the Jewish community. They're not at the synagogue. They're, they're going outside the town to pray. And while they were there, they're met by this slave girl who has a spirit, is the way the NIV translates these two words uh, are, that are translated spirit, are very interesting words. It is the only time that this word is used in the New Testament. Uh, they're the Greek words pneuma puthona, now, you may be familiar with pneuma, the, the, the word for spirit. That's found all over the place in the New Testament, referring both to the spirit in a human being and other places referring to the Holy Spirit, here referring to an evil spirit. But here we have pneuma puthona, or python spirit. That is the description here of the spirit that is in this slave girl, a python spirit. Which came to be known, that term came to be known as one who foretells the future by the power of a demon. So this is a serious thing that is going on. Now it's interesting that what she is proclaiming, what she is shouting is true. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And this is a common thing in the New Testament where we see a demon proclaiming something that is true. In Luke 4, we have a man possessed with a demon who says, Ha, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's interesting that demons often understand rightly who Jesus is and declare truth. But Paul is not wanting the gospel and truth to be declared by a demon. And this girl has been following them for some time, and he finally uh, casts this demon out. And he knows, I think, that there are going to be consequences to this exorcism. It is going to come down hard for many reasons, spiritual reasons, practical reasons, and yet he does this thing. He casts this demon out. And so here we see the first, I've already alluded to it, our first display of Christ's power is in his freeing captives from demonic bondage. We see Christ's power in that it is able to free people from demonic bondage. So, of course, the issue comes up, uh, does this happen today? Is this something that, uh, that we should be aware of? And I would say yes, this is something that can happen today. Satan is at work today. Demons are at work today. I don't think that we should be looking or searching or seeking for a demon under every stone or under every rock. Uh, We can sometimes, I think, take a shortcut. And as we are struggling through a particular temptation or with some kind of sin, and we've been struggling with this for some time, we might wrongly conclude that we have a demon in us, and we might... Longingly wish for something to happen like what Paul has done here and this problem or this struggle is just going to go away So I think this does happen today, but I don't think that this is terribly common I remember some years ago in our previous congregation Phone rang in the middle of the night Probably all of us here have had that experience Two o'clock in the morning three o'clock in the morning something like that It's usually very bad news uh, you hope it's maybe a wrong number or no one's there, but there's someone often on the end of that line that has very bad news. And I had a phone call uh, some years ago from a mother in our congregation, wakes me up in the middle of the night, I answer the phone, this was a, a family that took in struggling uh, young men and women frequently into their home and their property, their ranch, and she calls me and she says, Pastor, we've got a demon-possessed girl in our home, and we need you to come over. Now I haven't gotten a lot of calls like that at, at noon, you know, when you're alert and awake and ready to go. And this is a call at two o'clock in the morning. And so uh, I tell my wife, and she's wondering, you know, who died? I said, no, no one died. Got to go uh, cast a demon out of, of so-and-so, 16-year-old girl who's come to the home. Oh, okay. All right. So I uh, call my youth pastor and Wake him up and swing by the uh, church parsonage there, pick him up, and we head down the down the hill, down Rattlesnake Bar Road, way down almost to Folsom Lake. And we get there, and this scene had been going on for some time. It was a crazy scene. And uh, neither of us uh, felt in and of ourselves qualified to go in there and to do something like what Paul has done here but we were proclaiming to ourselves as we went down there that our God is powerful and He is sufficient and we don't need to know some kind of magic trick or some spin dance or some, some uh, crazy thing. Look at what Paul does. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Now it's not really worth going into all the details that we went through. It was a complicated situation and how much of it was demonic possession and how much of it was emotions and that sort of thing. It wasn't quite as clear cut as what we have here. What we have here is a clear supernatural power of someone who is consistently predicting the future and making her slave owners very, very wealthy. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, this demon is cast out. For us and the struggles that we have in life, it is not... Uh, Often this clear cut, and God tends to work in more natural and more common ways. J.I. Packer um, answers this question, how does a Christian grow in Christ? Uh, He doesn't often use a casting out of a demon. He uses the objective means of grace, biblical truth, prayer, fellowship, worship, and the Lord's Supper. And the subjective means of grace, thinking, listening, questioning, admonishing, self-examination. These are the typical ways that we grow and that we fight through temptation. We fight through struggles with sin. It's through understanding biblical truth. It's through consistent and, and persevering prayer. It's through fellowship. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit as we partake of the Lord's Supper later uh, in this service as a church family. These are the way that God normally works, but sometimes He works in ways like this. The way that he's done here in verses 16 through 18. I hear especially that he does this in other areas of the country much more frequently. You talk to pastors or people who are ministering like Pastor Adam or myself. And we don't frequently have demon possession cases on our hands. It's not something that common. But then you hear someone like Pastor Adam or myself who travels to another part of the world. And it's part of their daily ministry. And so the enemy seems to work in different ways, in different places, in different territories. So we see that Christ's power frees captives from demonic bondage here in 16 through 18. There's going to be consequences of what Paul does. Let's take a look now at 19 through 25 and see what happens next. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them Into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Pastor Adam and I were talking this week about this passage. And one of the things that we see here is that when we as believers make a decision to stand against an idol of someone, The idol of greed here for these slave owners, utilizing, abusing, in a sense, this girl and the demon that she has in her. When you stand against that, there is going to be a fight. There is going to be a battle. There is going to be a war. I think Paul knew that this was going to come. And so they are stripped, uh, they are beaten, uh, they are tortured. There's also a racial component to this. Notice in verse 20 what they say. These men are Jews. And there's a group of people, we're in this we section, but it's only Paul and Silas that get the flogging, that get their clothes stripped off their body, and they are beat and beat and they are bleeding. Just the two of them. Part of the reason, I think, is because they looked Jewish. They had the accents. They had the, the appearance to these folks who had prejudicial sin against them. And so Paul and Silas get it. It is a a terrible, terrible picture that we see. We shouldn't be surprised at this kind of suffering in Paul's life, we shouldn't be surprised at suffering in our own lives. So the second display of power that we see, Christ's power sustains through suffering with joy. Christ's power sustains through suffering with joy. Where did I get the joy from? I didn't get to verse 25. Look at verse 25. About midnight, so hours have gone by, most likely, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They have been stripped naked. They have been beaten. They are bleeding. Their wounds have yet to be addressed. Hours have passed, and they are singing hymns, and the other prisoners are listening to them. They are singing the Gospel. They are singing the news that Christ came to die for sinners to bring us joy, to bring us life beyond the grave. And they are singing in prison. This is crazy. This is the power of Jesus Christ. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That He sustains His people through suffering. And He even brings them joy to where they can sing hymns. They're not calling 911. They're not asking for their attorney. They're not complaining. They are singing hymns of praise to God. Christ's power sustains you and me through suffering with joy. This is something that we should expect. Just two chapters ago, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. We sometimes think the Christian life is just this downhill, smooth life, profess faith in Jesus, and we're just going to, you know, if you're you're living right, then he's just going to bless you, and everything's going to be really good. That is not what the Bible teaches. But the good news is, that through these tribulations that God will sustain us and he can even bring joy to our hearts, not that we seek this kind of suffering. This last week, uh, my wife and I were able to go out on a date night as our uh, oldest, Michael now is in junior high, he's a big kid now. Um, we're enjoying being able to kind of do this a little more Spontaneously. Without having a a babysitter in our home, we've had some awesome babysitters, but uh, we haven't had any nuclear war while we were gone. We've had some issues, but uh, they're doing pretty well. But we were able to go out this last uh, week, one night, and we went and saw this film called The Impossible. And this film portrays the real story of a family that was on vacation in Thailand Christmas Vacation 2004, and I'm sure you remember the day after Christmas 2004, one of the greatest and most tragic natural disasters in history, really, uh, comes through. The tsunami kills 200,000 people. Over 200,000 people were dead by by this wave. And this film uh, shows the life of one family, and and that family was involved in the making of the film. Obviously, they survived. Uh, This is a picture of the uh, the actress here who plays, uh, that's uh, Naomi uh, Watts on the left. And on the right, you have um, Maria Belon, who is the woman who went through this tsunami on their Christmas vacation with her husband and three boys. Michelle and I felt somewhat of a, a connection with this family about the ages of our of our own children, as they are in a beachfront resort in Thailand the day after Christmas, 2004. Um, it is a dramatic film. It is an intense film. It's not one that you're chucking a lot of popcorn on and, and smiling. Uh, you see this struggle and this tragedy. You feel like you're there. You feel like you're drowning. Uh, This woman, Maria, was separated with one of her boys. The uh, husband and two other boys are separated. There's massive uh, struggle and injury and trauma. I'm going to show you just a brief clip, a 45-second clip of this film. you a flavor. And if you see it on the big screen, you get much more of a flavor of the struggle and the trauma that this family goes through. The reason I am talking about this this morning is because after we we saw the film, we came home and I just just needed to know a little bit more about this family. And I went online and read a couple articles about uh, this family and look at what uh, the mother who went through this struggle, severe injuries, she ends up Uh, having a leg amputated. It's just an unbelievable story. But this is what she says uh, about the tsunami. She says, I was always afraid of things uh, before the tsunami. She lived with anxiety and fear. The tsunami was an incredible gift. I embrace life. My whole life now, she says, is extra time. And she has a perspective now, and she has talked about this, and it's part of how the film got made, of how, how she has been sustained and changed through suffering and has this tremendous joy in life. And we see this in the passage here in the Apostle Paul. How are you singing hymns after you have been beaten and are bleeding in prison? how are you thinking about other people at a time like this it is because they paul and silas are expecting the power of god to do great things in them and through them and in other people's lives the power of god is seen so clearly in this passage the next section we're going to look at 26 through 28 we're going to see that christ's power enables joyous self-denial to serve others let's look at 20 six through twenty eight. So they've been singing It's midnight. Verse twenty six Suddenly there, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now, in case you didn't catch that, that's irony right there. When the prisoner says to the prison guard, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The prisoners, this is massive irony. There's just been an earthquake. The prisoners have miraculously, through the power of God, been set free. And they're all there. And Paul is concerned for the guard's well-being. A guard in this situation, the Roman Empire, would, would, would kill himself because this is unacceptable. You can't allow this to happen. Paul says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Man, I'm out of there, right? Earthquake. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I'm, I'm gone. This is, this is the power of God. I, I'm, I'm gone. I'm gone. Thank you, Lord. We we are gone. Paul says no. And he's thinking of others. The power of God enables joyous self-denial to serve others. The prisoners have been listening to the gospel as Paul and Silas have been singing. And Paul is saving the life physically of the jailer here end of verse 28. Let's pick it up, verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, so we're in the wee hours of the night here, At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. You get a presence of what condition their bodies have been in. Until the middle of the night, they're finally getting their wounds addressed as they have been flogged and tortured. A a tremendous abuse. Finally, their wounds are washed. Then immediately, he and all his family were baptized. Pastors love this. You know, okay, we got the blood taken care of. You've come to know the Lord. Now we've got to baptize you. i mean, the middle of the night baptism. This is a glorious picture here. Continuing, verse 34, the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal. Or as the ESV has it, it's probably better, set food. I don't think this was a, a typical meal time here. This is, they're, they're giving these guys some food. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole family. God enables the joyous self-denial of ourselves in order to serve others. Now, you and I are not going to most likely be flogged. We're not going to be strict naked and beaten. But we are going to have suffering in our lives. Whether that suffering shows up in the form of, of sickness and illness or cancer, whether that suffering shows up in trials of, of relationships that have, have gone astray with a marriage that is not what it is called to be. The good news about the power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, that even in terrible situations and circumstances and trials, that we are enabled to deny ourselves and to serve others. This is what the power of God looks like for us. This is what it looked like for Paul and for Silas. In 26 through 28. Let's go back. Let's come back to the text here. Uh, Verse 29. Verse 29. I'm confused. I've already read that. Yeah. Verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, trembling. They replied, believe in the Lord. So we have conversion here. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I just got a little bit confused. So that's where on point four, I was still on point three. So point four, he converts sinners. He converts sinners. We have this conversion that takes place. The jailer and his family come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the fourth display of power that we see in this passage. He wants to not only show his power in our lives, but he wants to show his power in the lives of others. Our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, our classmates, he wants to bring them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, our problem is that we kind of become complacent, we become lukewarm, and we haven't seen God doing these sort of things, and we just kind of cruise through life, abandoning belief in the power of God to do great things, including to save our friends and neighbors and family members. We've got to free ourselves from this. Uh, I had a friend uh, many years ago, told a story of he and his wife that had been praying for many, many years for his father to come to know the Lord. They've got young children in the home, and the mom and dad had basically uh, gone lukewarm in their prayers for that father, for the kid's grandpa, to come to know the Lord. Grandpa's coming to visit. This was many, many years ago, many decades ago this, when this took place. The kids, however, have continued to be praying for Grandpa to be saved and to come to know the Lord. And they go to the airport. He tells the story. They go to the airport, and uh, Grandpa's coming down the steps of the airplane back in the day. And the kids are running out there to greet Grandpa and give him hugs. And one of the first things, one of the boys says, Grandpa, boy, we are praying for you to be saved. First thing out of the mouth of, of, of this little one. And the parents are kind of just, you know, uh, dad has, uh, the grandpa has been in a place where he's, he's heard the gospel a lot. He's not really interested in hearing this anymore. He's fairly annoyed with the Jesus-centeredness of this family. He loves them. And, and, and the mom and dad are just kind, of, just kind of not real happy with this expression of faith and the power of God of a, I don't remember how old he was, a 10- or a 12-year-old boy who's hugging their grandpa And praying for this grandpa to come to know the Lord. That week, after many, many years of praying for this guy, Grandpa, through the ministry of the grandkids, comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior. These kids had not fallen into this lukewarmness, this complacentness. They believed in the power of God. They believed that Jesus could save Grandpa. And he did that. He has the power to convert sinners. Let's come back to the passage here now that I'm back on track. Last section, final section. Um, We're picking it up at verse 35. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. (laughs) I, I think there's humor there. Go in peace. We've had flogging. We've had earthquake we've had near suicide, we've had near death from, from their injuries, we've had all these prisoners freed, obviously they're all back in jail now, and so the magistrates have said, now you can leave, go, go in peace, we, we, we've seen the earthquake, we've seen what's going on. Look at Paul's response, you know the story, but Paul said to the office, officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us in, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. You get the sense here that God is trying to get this guy out of prison. He sends an earthquake. Then he sends word from the magistrates, hey, you guys go in peace. But Paul says no. He says no again. I mean, I am so far from this prison at this point. Paul says no. The other interesting thing here is in verse 37, he pulls the Roman citizenship card here. Man, I'm pulling that back. I'm pulling that card out when the flogging is coming. We're not told why he doesn't do that. Maybe he did that and we're just not told. But he pulls the Roman citizenship card out when they're saying, now you can go in peace. He pulls it out to stay or to go in a different way really. So to finish it up, verse 38, the officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. And then they left. It's a beautiful picture here. We have the birth of the church of Philippi here, meeting at the brother's house, many from this prison, I would presume. Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy together. How do you plant a church? This isn't how we would plant a church, but this is how the Lord Jesus Christ plants the church in Philippi. And we see the final display of power here. My take on this, the final display of power, is that God, Christ, enables living. He, en- he enables us as believers to live with extraordinary integrity. And I think one of the reasons that Paul has declined to leave with the earthquake and why he declined to leave when they said go in peace is he wants to leave with absolute integrity. He wants to leave with a witness to the city and this community that we didn't fly out of this prison in the middle of the night with an earthquake. It wasn't some kind of hocus pocus or mumbo jumbo that got us out. It was the true God And the God who works with integrity and He wants the testimony in the town to be that the magistrates walked us out of this place and a church is birthed. A church that we have a whole book of the Bible about the church of Philippi. God is looking for you and I to see the power of God in our lives to enable us to live with this kind of integrity with this kind of compassion for others, with this kind of capacity to endure suffering, with joy, with a focus on others. This is what the power of God should be in our lives. Let's pray and ask God to give us this sense of expectation. Father, God, we love you very much. Lord, none of us here are going to be flogged or tortured most likely. Our trials and our struggles are going to come and. In various ways we pray Lord that through the power the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that we would be enabled to see the trials and sufferings that are in our lives today right now that we would be able to endure those with joy in Jesus Christ that he has a plan to redeem the the tsunamis of our lives the the floggings of our own lives and our own situations. He has the power to redeem them. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling today right now that they would be sustained. And then I pray that they would move beyond being sustained to a place where they would, by the power of God, be able to look to the needs of others as we see in Paul's life here. Lord, we pray that we would be men and women with massive integrity in our business dealings and everything that we do, that Christ would be preeminent and supreme over all. We pray to God that we would be the kind of people who are longing and expecting the power of God to show up in saving our neighbors, our friends, our family members, our classmates, whoever it is that you have in our sphere of influences. God, help us to see the power of God of jesus christ and to expect it day in and day out in our lives we pray in jesus name Amen.
1: before we worship uh, and sing some songs we're about to send pastor mike and jerry off to a conference and so i thought it'd be good for us to pray for them because they have to they have to leave the worship service right now so jerry could you come on up here I know, that's your, your favorite thing, right? It's come on up. They're going to the Desiring God Pastors Conference, and I'm sorry to not be able to buddy up with them this week, but um, this is always a really good conference. So Pastor Mike and Reverend Jerry, let me pray. <laughs> let me pray for you guys. Lord, I thank you for the word that we've just heard so clearly preached about your power uh, in the ancient church and the implications for your power today, and I praise you for that. pray that you'd help us all to walk in your power and to really have faith in your power, and I pray that that same power uh, of your presence and your word would be very active in the hearts of, of Mike and Jerry in these next few days. I pray that you would really bless them and refresh them as they head to this conference, speak to them from uh, through the speakers, let them have great fellowship together, and I pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, guys, have a good time. Owen. We're about to sing some songs, and you know, songs uh, are fun in church, but really what they are is prayers, and we sing them together as an expression of our unity together. So let's sing these prayers uh, to the Lord.
2: My soul finds rest in God alone My rock and my salvation A fortress strong against my foes And I will not be shaken Though lips may bless and hearts may curse And lies like arrows pierce me I'll fix my heart on righteousness I'll look to Him who hears salvation the riches come and riches go don't set your heart upon them the fields of hope in which I sow are harvested of death, and I am His forever.